It is Wednesday, November 24th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Week 12 Preview Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaub. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. And we got a goofy week this week because of Thanksgiving, of course, Jared, on Thursday. We got three games that day, as we always do, instead of the normal one at night. So it condenses everything even more for us, for those of us who have to do this fantasy stuff every week. We got three games to get ready for. First is at 1230 Eastern. So we're going to switch up the format of this show today. Not going to run through the usual full slate game by game, but we're going to hit on some key players, try to answer some key questions here. Let's do it. This week's always fun trying to fit, you know, six days of work into into five. Math doesn't really work, but. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's tough to complain too when people are like, seriously, I have to like go to an actual office and do actual work. You guys are still playing. Thursday injury situations are, I think, going to be the first challenge this week because they have the players have less time to get ready to play, and we have less time to watch and see what's going to happen with them in practice and read the reports of what's going on. So I'm going to run through some players here that we need to watch before we set our lineups to begin the week on Thursday. Of course, Detroit has Jared Goff. Looks like he's trending toward returning to play this week. Limited practices the first two days this week. I'm guessing he plays. I know, I know that doesn't matter for most fantasy lineups but jared you know that there are some teams out there that have to start jared goff in like a two quarterback setup yeah sorry, sorry for those teams but i i do think goff would make deandre swift and tj hawkinson easier to to trust in fantasy lineups maybe khalif raymond if you have to look all the way down there hopefully not yeah chicago bears on the other side of that one Allen robinson does not look like he's gonna play and of course we'll get game statuses for these guys <laughs> later today so maybe by the time you're listening to this it won't actually be a question it'll already be an answer but Looks like no Allen Robinson. I certainly wouldn't play him if he ends up active for the game somehow coming off the hamstring injury. Darnell Mooney has been limited this week, but he should play. He was limited by the same foot issue last week, and then he got 16 targets in that game. Yeah, he's been limited much of the season, so I'm not worried about him. I, th- I think Mooney's a like a wide receiver, too, this week with the matchup and volume. I, mean, I, I think Cole Komet gets a boost, too, with Robinson out again, even though it didn't you know, deliver for us last week. I do still think Komet's in play as a lower-end option this week. Mm-hmm. Dallas has no Amari Cooper. He's out with COVID. Uh, CD Lamb looks like he's probably not going to be back from his concussion in time to play in that game. They should, however, get left tackle Tyron Smith back. He put in a full practice uh, Tuesday, and that would be if he gets full playing time, it would be his first full game since week five. Even that game against New England, he played 88% of the snaps, so slightly less than usual. Yeah, Smith's return will be big. And Dallas has been much more efficient in the passing game and on the ground with Smith in the lineup versus without him. Um, I don't know, Dallas keeps saying you know, C.D. Lamb has a chance to play that. I'd be shocked if a guy you know, four days off of concussion. But the concussions, are you can never really guess with them. They tend to be unpredictable. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, if, if Lamb ends up active, like he, he's going to be a full go. So you're, you're playing C.D. Lamb if he's active. I can tell you who would be skeptical of him getting back for Thursday's game is my wife who works with concussion patients. But... I guess I'm going to guess that the Cowboys know better than we do. And yeah, if CeeDee Lamb's playing, then we'll go ahead and play him. So we'll watch that Thursday. And, you know, if it's a question leading up to the game, we'll certainly have the updates in the Shark Bites section to help you make sure that you have your lineup set appropriately. In the night game, we've got the Saints who look like they will be without Alvin Kamara again, not practicing with his knee issue. As you said on the the, Thursday, the Thanksgiving DFS show, Jared, it seems like he probably had a setback last week based on what's going on. Right, was limited last Wednesday, then didn't practice the final two days of the week and hasn't practiced yet this week. So I, you know, 
don't plan on Elvin Kamara playing. And then Mark Ingram's up in the air too after missing Tuesday's practice with the knee. So we'll, you know, we'll get another update on him this afternoon. And you know, Tony Jones is, is the guy who would step in as, as New Orleans lead back if Kamara and Ingram are out. Tony Jones Jr., of course, his dad is no longer on the Saints roster. The Bills, meanwhile, seem like they might get the healthiest Cole Beasley that they've had in weeks because he actually got marked down for a full practice on Wednesday, right? Yeah, for the first time since he suffered that rib injury in week eight. Um, and his playing time did trend back up last week, so you know, not a surprise that he's you know closer to a full go. Um, matchup's pretty good against the Saints who have struggled against slot guys. So I do think Beasley is back as an option in PPR leagues this week. And the Bills already throw the ball in like 98% of offensive plays anyway. So they're going up against the number one defense in rush defense DVOA. I think I would boost Cole Beasley up our rankings now. I'd put him in like the 27 to 30 range at wide receiver. And he, I think he's a pretty strong option this week. Yeah, I mean, the concern is his production hasn't been as big in games with Dawson Knox. Um, but he, he has had some big games with Knox. It's just been more inconsistent. So that's the concern. I mean, he's not like a must play, but he's, you know, to me, he was not an option last week with the rib thing. Now he's kind of back, back to where he was um, before the rib injury alongside Knox. Yeah, certainly not a must, but, you know, he's in an offense where there's so much upside that in a range where everybody has questions, I, I would chase Cole Beasley's upside, especially with Dawson Knox facing a mm-hmm. negative matchup for yep. tight end scoring. So. Yep. That's it. That's it for the Thursday injury situations. Obviously, we'll be keeping our usual eye on, you know, the Sunday injury guys and updating shark bites throughout the week, including the game statuses as we get to the weekend. So, you know, it's a challenge for all of us this week with the three early games, trying to make sure we stay on top of roster management. But we'll be here to help you with that. We're going to move on to each position now and go through kind of some key players that might have questions, might have better than usual matchups or just you know, issues that make them interesting this week. And we'll start at quarterback with Lamar Jackson, who, of course, was not in there for us last week, had the illness that got him questionable over the weekend. And then Tyler Huntley, of course, started in his place. So Lamar Jackson said Monday that he felt good. I'm going to go ahead and trust that that means he'll be back at least close to usual Lamar Jackson this week. And judging by the fact that he's number three in our quarterback rankings, Jared, I'm going to guess that we're all going ahead and starting him. Yeah, and it sounds like he was back on the practice field on Wednesday, so it should be good to go. Just, you know, someone someone get this guy like a family pack of Airborns or whatever because Lamar is sick more than like any player in the NFL. I don't understand what's going on with it. Yeah, maybe it's a dietary thing. Something. My only decision, I think, on Lamar Jackson this week is in this home league where I have him and Dak Prescott at quarterback, and I think I'm going to have to sit Dak and play Lamar there. Yeah, I mean, the only reason I'd play Dak is if you're just worried about Lamar not playing and you have to, obviously have to decide on Dak by Thursday. But, you know, unless we get some report tonight that, you know, Lamar's still iffy, I would, I would definitely use Lamar over Dak this week. Aaron Rodgers gave us the scary report heading into last Sunday that he had a toe injury that was actually going to be a problem for him. And then he went out and merely put up his biggest stat line of the season. So, uh, now, even after that, he's saying it's worse than turf toe, that it, he's probably going to need surgery on it at some point, right? I don't know if I heard that. He he, he, he actually said it's um, a, a side effect of COVID. <laughs> so I, 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 don't, I won't get into the medical side. But yeah, like you said, he, he, looked, he looked excellent last week. You know, he even had that rollout touchdown. I think it was to DeGuara. So yeah, I, no, no concerns. Um, I don't know, it seems like he's hamming it up a little bit, like Big Ben style with this injury. <laughs> yeah, I and I, you have to wonder if it's a side effect of COVID, according to doctors or according to Joe right. Rogan when it comes to Aaron <laughs> Rodgers. Right. 
And the Rams, you know, are a tougher defense, but they're also neutral in past defense DVOA. So certainly not a worrisome spot after what we saw Rodgers do last week. Yeah, I mean, last week was definitely the outlier for Rodgers' season. He, you know, he's been more of a low-end quarterback one for most of the season. So that, that that's what I'd expect this week. But, you know, if, if Rodgers is your guy, I, I wouldn't let the toe issue, you know, steer you away from him. Back Prescott, I mentioned I'll play Lamar Jackson over him this week, but he's still inside QB1 territory. When you don't have Amari Cooper and probably not CeeDee Lamb, or maybe mm-hmm. not, I guess we should say at this point, it, it lowers the ceiling, but – Dak Prescott's still been fine. I mentioned on our Thanksgiving DFS show over the past three weeks when his numbers have been down, he's still ranked 11th in PFF passing grade over that span among 40 quarterbacks with at least 25 dropbacks. So he's, his performance has still been fine overall. He's still a QB one level play. The probably biggest question this week, just you know, besides missing two big talents, is maybe Dallas leans more heavily on the run, missing those receivers in a game that they should be able to control however they want. Yeah, I just think with the wide receiver issues, Dak, you know, goes from a mid-range quarterback one to a lower end quarterback one this week. You know, Vegas has played the pass pretty well, so it's not a great matchup. But I keep going back to, you know, Dallas has the highest implied total of the week and by a pretty wide margin. It's a low scoring week according to the implied totals, but 29.25 point implied total for Dallas. So, you know, Vegas expects Dallas to score. Um, So, you know, Dak, even if the volume's down, you know, he's capable of throwing two or three touchdowns in this matchup. And I feel better about using Lamar Jackson over Dak Prescott because I also have my FFPC main event team where I have to start Dak Prescott unless I feel like playing Matt Ryan and I do not. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Uh, Cam Newton was a question mark heading into last week as well because Matt Rule said during the week that PJ Walker may be incorporated into the game plan. He played zero snaps. So (laughs) Matt Rule led us to believe that we should be hesitant with Cam Newton for absolutely no reason I would still not completely trust Cam Newton as a fantasy um, as a fantasy prospect because there's still going to be passing downside. But I obviously feel better about him this week than I did this time last week. I mean, if he's going to get ten carries like he did last week, you know, including some goal line stuff, he didn't get his touchdown. Actually, came from like twenty four yards out last week on the ground. But I do think he's going to get some goal line work. Um, you know, the passing stuff is kind of just a bonus. So um, you know. Cam finished quarterback four last week in fantasy points, you know, in his first start of the season after joining the team like a week earlier. So pretty impressive stuff. I I think Cam is the best spot start option this week. If you don't have one of the locked in weekly starters, I think Cam's your best bet. Yeah. Everywhere is goal line territory when you're Cam Newton. So there's still some risk, as I said to him, but he's right in front of Taylor Heineke, Derek Carr, Carson Wentz. So you let me know which of those guys doesn't carry some risk in your fantasy lineup. Correct. Russell Wilson will carry some risk if he's in your fantasy lineup. Tenth among starters in PFF passing grade last week against Arizona. So that's the positive after, especially after finishing dead last the week before against Green Bay, still just 14 to 26 passing for 207 mm-hmm. yards though, and took four sacks in that game against the Cardinals. So I, I would be shaky on using Russell Wilson this week. If I were coming down to a decision between him and somebody else viable. Yeah, and I went back this morning and watched the Seahawks offense in that game. And, you know, Russ still did not look good to me. And, and, and even looking at the PFF grade, it was 10th on the week, but it wasn't it wasn't a good grade. It was still lower than all his grades before that finger injury. So st- still a concern that the matchup, though, you know, Washington dead last and adjusted points allowed to quarterbacks. Like if there's a matchup to get him back on track. And the last two, you know, Green Bay and Arizona, who Russ faced the last two weeks, are pretty solid defenses. So, I mean, it... it if you if you have another quality option, you're definitely 
not using Russ over them. But, you know, most teams that have Russ, it's probably Russ or like, you know, some some fringy guy off the waiver wire. Now, you know, we do have Heineke and Derek Carr and Carson Wentz and Tyra Taylor. They're all ranked over Russell Wilson for us. Um, I, I'm not sure I'd, I could use those guys over Russ, though. I might just bank on Russ getting back to Russ form in, in this awesome matchup. Um, there's, but there's obviously a risk, you know, until we see him play better, get over the finger. I, I, I got to think the finger is still an issue here. Yeah, I would play all of those guys that you just named over him. I would play Jimmy Garoppolo over him this week. Matt Ryan would be probably the lowest where I'm not sure. And I think I'd probably lean Matt Ryan just until we see something because there, there hasn't been enough, okay, everything's good with Russ in this offense this year to make me feel good about betting on the rebound yet. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Cam Newton's the one guy who might be available in your league that I would definitely play over Russell Wilson. Beyond that, you know, it, it gets tricky. I would rather get my Russell Wilson exposure this week by going ahead and playing Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. Not at the same level as when everything's good in Seattle, but at a fairly comfortable level, like talking low yeah. wide receiver two to high wide receiver three territory. They got back, they got 50% of the um, Seattle targets between them last week, just like usual. Right. I mean, Lockett went, went for over 100 yards last week, despite Wilson's struggles. And, and Metcalf was super close to scoring a touchdown. He just couldn't get his second foot in bounds. Yeah, those, those guys are still starters, you know, obviously with added risk until Russ starts playing better. Over to running back. A.J. Dillon had plenty of run in DFS last week. I'm sure he was in lots and lots of redraft lineups. So, Jared, did he disappoint by finishing just RB14? Like, you hear that number and think that's good, but... <laughs> If we're expecting a big week, RB14 is certainly lower than we would be happy with for Aaron Jones. Yeah, well, I mean, that that looks like his floor to me, you know, based on the usage and how that game went. You know, Green Bay fell way behind early and, that, you know, Dylan only had 11 carries. And he was efficient, 11 carries for 53 yards. And I think most importantly, six catches for 44 yards. Um, he ended up playing 75% of the offensive snaps. You know, that, that's higher than Aaron Jones plays. You know, Dylan's role right now is better than Aaron Jones's role when he's healthy and AJ Dillon's healthy. So to me, you know, again, RB 14 feels like a floor for AJ Dillon. I think he still has, you know, top five upside this week. So, you know, he should definitely be in your redraft lineup. And I, I think he'll be in play for DFS again this week too. Yeah. You'd like to see more than 11 carries, but he got 73% of the running back carries for last week's Packers. And as you mentioned, the six targets, all six running back targets for the team. So that's even better than what Aaron Jones was getting when healthy. So yeah, I'm easily starting AJ Dillon this week. And certainly he will be in the mix for DFS. The Broncos backfield, they're coming off a bye now. So, you know, we'll see exactly what they plan to do. But Jared, is there any reason to believe that there's something different than how we've been treating them to this point? Hopefully. Um, Javante Williams outsnapped Melvin Gordon last time out for the first time since uh, week two, I believe it was. Uh, it's the second time this season. I'm not sure when the first was. It was early on. It had been a while. Javante Williams also ran more routes than Melvin Gordon in that game. Now, I you know I, I do think that there's in that game there were still kind of rotating series for the most part. But then Melvin Gordon lost a fumble. He lost that fumble in the fourth quarter, and it was almost all Javante Williams after that. So we'll see if that continues coming out of the bye. I don't think they're gonna you know banish Melvin Gordon to the bench, and it's gonna be all Javante Williams. But I mean, I I would not be surprised if it's like 60 40 in favor of the rookie coming off the bye. And you get this matchup against the Chargers. And, you know, if, if you've listened to this podcast at all this year, you've probably heard us talk about the Chargers defense. It, it's just it, it's a super run funnel defense. They're so much tougher against the pass than the run. Football Outsiders has them dead last in run defense. They're 23rd in adjusted points allowed to running backs. Teams run the ball against the Chargers at the highest rate in the NFL. So I, I think 
I think you're, I would start Javante Williams and be excited about it this week. And I think even Melvin Gordon is in play. Cause this, this could be a spot where, you know, those guys can buy in for 30, 35 carries. Yeah. You'll find them still close together in our rankings. You'll find Javante Williams a little bit ahead of them. I think that's how I would treat them. If you're deciding between them, I think they, it's certainly possible to start both of them. I mean, if you're, if you have to decide between them for one spot, it's still really a coin flip, but I think I would chase the higher upside rookie. Yes. Agreed. Uh, we've got some more backfields like that, but the 49ers backfield isn't quite to that point. Jeff Wilson also let people down kind of like AJ Dillon last week, um, just 50 rushing yards, one catch for eight yards, but 19 to 10 over Trey Sermon and carries and 40 to 24 lead and snaps played. So what do we make of this 49ers backfield now? Well, I, I kind of expect Eli Mitchell to be back this week. Um, you know, Shanahan kept saying he thought he'd play last week coming off the finger surgery, but we'll see on that. I mean, I, I still think if Mitchell is healthy, he's the lead back. We saw that two games ago, Elijah Mitchell, 27 carries to Jeff Wilson's 10. I mean, they're not going to combine for 37 carries every game, but I think that type of split is what you're looking at. Um, and if Mitchell remains out, I do still think it's Jeff Wilson as the lead guy. You're going to see Trey Sermon mix in. Um, you know, I, I think Jeff Wilson will be a good bet for 15 plus carries. Yeah, Jeff Wilson is clearly the next guy after Eli Mitchell, but he's not as much the guy as Mitchell is when he's healthy. So uh, that's the way to treat them going forward, I think. Patriots backfield, Ramondre Stevenson beat Damian Harris by two carries against the Falcons last week. Harris played three more snaps. And Brandon Bolden, even though he was questionable going into the game, was close to both of those guys. 17 snaps for Bolden versus Harris's 25, Stevenson's 22. Jared, how are we treating this Patriots backfield? I mean, I, I think we're looking at a three-man committee the rest of the way, like we saw last week. Um, it, it was kind of a Javante Williams, Melvin Gordon situation. It looked like Harris and Stevenson were just rotating series. And then you had Brandon Bolden coming in in, in obvious passing situations. So, you know, th- three-man committee is usually a stay away. But th- this is a super run-heavy Patriots offense. You know, they're, they're top three in situation-neutral run rate over the past month. It's a good defense, so they're they're usually able to run quite a bit, and it's been an effective running game behind you. Know, a good O line, and Stevenson and Harris have both both been running well. So you know, it's going to be frustrating. Neither guy's going to hit ceiling games, I think, because of a split. But I do think you could get you know anywhere from ten to fifteen carries per game out of both of these guys, along with you know a target or two. So I, I do think they're both still in play as fantasy starters. You know, lower end fantasy starters because of the split. Um, but I do think it's a rare situation where it's a three man committee, but we can still invest in this backfield in fantasy. I agree. There should be enough touches to go around. You know, relatively speaking, somebody's going to let you down by not scoring a touchdown, especially if the other guy does. But if you're choosing between Stevenson and Harris, it's really a coin flip. I mean, we could say Stevenson got more carries last week and he has looked explosive. Damian Harris hasn't been playing poorly, though. So it's not a matter of the rookie clearly working past an older guy. Harris is, what, two years older than he is. So make sure I use either guy, consider them both usable and don't trust anything too much. Of course, we're also just one more fumble away from Belichick <laughs> losing Ramondre Stevenson's number. Or Damian Harris's at this point, you know, who, who knows? Um, Harris even Harris even ran a couple more routes than Stevenson last week. So I don't even think there's an edge there. I really think it's like 50, 50. That, that's how I projected at this point, as far as carries and targets are split between Harris and Stevenson. Jared, we got a question real quick from uh, YouTube, and it is start Miles Gaskin, Brandon Cooks, or Daryl Henderson in a flex spot in full PPR. Who you got among those three? Uh, Henderson for me pretty easily. 
Yeah, I think I would lean Henderson as well. I mean, I think both running backs are better bets for touches than Brandon Cooks. So I would start with both running backs over the wide receiver. And yeah, I guess I would have to bet on Daryl Henderson's situation and talent over Miles Gaskin here. Yeah, Henderson's usage has, has remained strong. He's, you know, the clear lead back. And in an offense, I expect to bounce back coming off the bye. Speaking of bouncing back, we'll see if Tennessee can do that after losing to Houston last week. And the surprise there was Dontrell Hilliard coming out of nowhere to beat Adrian Peterson and Deontay Foreman in playing time. He basically did last week what Jeremy McNichols did in the first game after Derrick Henry's injury, and that was controlling the passing in a game where Tennessee did a lot of passing. But it was even more pronounced for Hilliard than it was for McNichols in the previous game. 51 snaps versus 15 apiece for Foreman and Adrian Peterson. And almost all of that came in the passing game. 38 routes, five pass blocking reps among those 51 snaps for Hilliard. And the Titans, of course, played from behind Houston almost that entire game. And they were down multiple scores for a lot of that game. So I do think at least as far as last week, it was a, a game script, game flow thing that got Hilliard on the field. Of course, you know, we have Adrian Peterson out of the way now. Um, Hilliard was also, you know, the, the most efficient runner among those three guys last week too. So I don't know, you know, maybe, maybe it changes and he's not just the change of pace guy. Maybe he does work in more on early downs. We'll have to see too, of course, if Jeremy, Jeremy McNichols is back this week after missing last week with a concussion. Um, so it's a wait and see situation for me. Again, I think we've said that about the Titans backfield every week and we still don't really know what it's going to look like. And you have the matchup against New England uh, one of the better defenses in the league right now. Titans have the lowest implied total of the week. They have a lower implied total than the Lions, lower than the Texans, lower than the Jets. Um, so, so to me, I, I would try to avoid this backfield and we'll, you know, reassess it next week. Maybe we'll have an answer then. Yeah, it was interesting. Pro Football Focus graded Hilliard very poorly as a receiver and pass blocker for that game and just kind of meh as a runner. So you don't really know what to believe there. And it's telling to me that the Titans then dumped Adrian Peterson the next day. So they had kind of been you know, waiting to do the thing that we all wanted about after his first game back. But, you know, that says that they at least like Hilliard better than Peterson. McNichols, we'll see if he's back from the concussion protocol. I mean, he was Dontrell Hilliard first and they were not having Hilliard involved in the game. So I guess among all of them, McNichols might be the top grab if he's available in leagues. I'm certainly not paying anything more than, you know, free for any of these running backs. And I would prefer not to use any of them. But if you're desperate, there's a chance McNichols or Hilliard does something for you this week. Yeah, th- this week the pass catching back is probably the best bet if you're you know having to to dabble in the situation. I I still if I could stash one of them for me, it'd still be Foreman, just on the chance that you know he's now going to dominate early down work with Peterson out of the way. Um, you know maybe that means you know instead of 10 carries per game, he's getting 15 or 16 carries per game when when the game flow for Tennessee allows it. Yeah, just make sure you don't overtrust anything here. Treat it like a New England backfield. Yep. Philly's backfield got Miles Sanders back last week, and he reclaimed the carry lead in that game against New Orleans. 16 carries to 10 for Jordan Howard, 6 for Boston Scott. Of course, Jordan Howard left in the third quarter with a knee sprain. He's going to miss most likely at least this game, has a chance to play in week 13, according to Nick Sirianni. Yeah, so Kenneth Gainwell should be active again this week, but you know, I, I think you're going to see Miles Sanders and Boston Scott. Yeah, active in air quotes. Um, I think you're going to see Sanders and Boston Scott split most of the carries man this eagles running game is just rolling i mean they've been the run heaviest offense in the league over the past month now and they've just been really good i mean that saints defense they just played last week came into the game as you know i I believe they were tops in football outsiders run defense dvoa 
and the Eagles ran for 242 yards as a team on 4.8 yards per carry. Um, now they get the Giants, who are 30th in football outsiders run defense DVOA. So I, I, I expect a big game from Philly on the ground here. That includes Jalen Hurts, obviously. But you know, I think Sanders, if you're if we're projecting him for you know 60, 65 percent of the running back carries, I think he's a strong play. And even Boston Scott, I think, could get you know 10 to 12 carries in this matchup and be someone you consider as a running back three or flex. Yeah, I mean, it would be a tough decision for me between Boston Scott and any of the Titans running backs this week. Oh, I'd, I'd go Scott over any of those guys. Yeah, so you mentioned that New Orleans was tops in run defense DVOA. They still are right now, even after that big rushing day allowed to Philly. So that's how good the Saints have been in run defense overall. No reason to believe that Philly will swing way back in the other direction to pass heaviness as they were early in the season, and they shouldn't. I mean, clearly they're built – to operate the way that they are currently on offense. So that's good for Miles Sanders' outlook. It certainly hurts that Jalen Hurts, no no pun intended, um, is as involved on the ground as he is. 18 carries to lead the team last week with Sanders back, three rushing touchdowns. He's not going to score all of the rushing touchdowns, but he'll certainly you know take plenty of them away. It's still a good situation for Sanders going forward, though. Oh, Sanders still hasn't scored yet this year, has he? It's coming, no. it's coming this week. I'm calling it. He has, he has fewer touchdowns than Andrew Thomas of the Giants. The You mentioned the matchup for the Giants. They are the sixth best scoring matchup for running backs by adjusted fantasy points allowed. Even Ronald Jones scored a touchdown against them last week. That's how you know how weak they are. Yeah, my four-net teams were not happy about it. Yeah, neither am I. Jets' backfield will wrap up this position as it should because there's nowhere to go but down from there. Uh, Michael Carter has made this backfield relevant for fantasy in recent weeks. I guess Mike White has really made it relevant as much as Michael <laughs> Carter has. But now Michael Carter's dealing with a low-grade high ankle sprain, whatever exactly that means. Sounds like he's expected to miss two games. Has not been put on IR yet. So, you know, it seems the Jets are hopeful it'll just be two games. Yeah, we'll see. I think we can at least count Carter out for this week. So that's going to lead the backfield to Ty Johnson and and Tevin Coleman. I, I went back and looked, you know, the first two weeks of the season before Carter really got involved and Coleman and Ty Johnson were both healthy. Um, Ty Johnson actually outcarried Tevin Coleman 16 to 14 in those two games. And Johnson saw three targets to Tevin Coleman zero. So I, I'm kind of projecting them to split carries, but then Ty Johnson to handle most, maybe even all of the passing game work. Now we, we have Zach Wilson back in there. So the, I think the running back target share is, is going to crater um, or at least, you know, back towards like league average and not the, you know, 40% that we were getting from Mike White. Um, but I do think, you know, three to five targets out of Ty Johnson plus, you know, eight to 12 carries and, and they get Houston. Um, so the matchup's good. So I do think Ty Johnson is in play, you know, better bet in PPR leagues as a running back three or flex this week. Who would you play between Ty Johnson and Boston Scott? Um, in non-PPR, it'd be Scott for sure. I think in PPR, I would lean Ty Johnson. I, I think the the touch projections are pretty similar. You're just probably going to get more passing game work out of Ty Johnson. Yeah, I think that's fair. I would probably end up leaning Ty Johnson across formats, but I certainly think that Boston Scott gains value. Uh, without full PPR, and that Ty Johnson gained some value in full PPR. Yep. Over to wide receiver, we talked about the Seahawks wideouts playing DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett pretty easily. Uh, they have combined for targets on exactly half of the team's pass attempts for the season. That matched up with the target share that Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf combined for last mm-hmm. week. Washington's best corner is Kendall Fuller, who could see some slot time when Tyler Lockett's in there. Fuller opened the season playing mostly in the slot, but has almost exclusively been outside the past Mm -hmm. four weeks. That led me to look at Tyler Lockett's numbers though. And he has actually seen a lot less time in the slot this year than he has in other seasons. He is down to 40% 
of his time in the slot right now, down 20 percentage points versus last year. That is Tyler Lockett's lowest slot rate since 2016. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a good matchup for both of these uh, Seahawks wide receivers. Washington 27th and adjusted points allowed to wide receivers. Uh, no Chase Young, obviously, so you know maybe Russ has a bit of time back there to find these guys. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Metcalf and Lockett are, should both be in starting lineups. Mm-hmm. Michael Gallup is going to be in starting lineups. Ten targets last week, 19.5 target share in three games back from injury. And, of course, we've mentioned Amari Cooper is out. CeeDee Lamb is probably out. Mm-hmm. Um, his target share probably even climbs against the Raiders. Michael Gallup's pretty comfy wide receiver, too, this week, I think. Yeah, I was going to say, wide receiver, too. Um, even if Lamb ends up playing uh, tomorrow, I think you can still use Gallup as, like, you know, wide receiver three in that case. Mm-hmm. Giants wide receivers, might we finally get Sterling Shepard back? I, that's That will be the question as we get into the practice week. And as we're talking now, we don't even have the first set of practice reports for the Sunday teams. But if we get Sterling Shepard back in this game, he's going to be my top bet among Giants wideouts. Yeah, and Shepard was limited, uh, what was it, Saturday? In their last practice last week, he was limited. Um, uh, Kadarius Tony did not practice today after leaving – late in last week's game with a quad contusion. You know, we, we haven't seen a game with Tony Shepard and Galladay all healthy yet this season. You know, I, I'm not sure we're going to get it again this week, but um, you know, the matchup does set up well for both Shepard and Tony. We've talked about the Eagles pass defense kind of, you know, funneling stuff short. Uh, that's, you know, both where Kadarius Tony and Sterling Shepard have been working this season. So I, I think they're both um, lower end fantasy starters. If their health checks out and Kenny Galladay, I mean, he's almost droppable at this point. Like he is just not, getting it done. That was a good spot for him um, on Monday night without Sterling Shepard, you know, in a pass heavier game from the Giants and he still did absolutely nothing. I can't hurt Kenny Galladay that the Giants finally gave up on the Jason Garrett plan and yeah. fired him this week. They switched to Freddie Kitchens. Actually, have, have they actually made that or is that still the guess that they go to Freddie Kitchens? You know, I, I saw um, Joe Judge say today, you know, he's, he's not revealing who's going to call plays in this game this weekend. So of course. Like that really matters. I mean, right. I, I guess at some level, the Eagles could go back and watch Freddie Kitchens tape from Cleveland and watch for tendencies, but it would still be a different team than what he has here. But anyway, that's how Joe Judge operates. I think the assumption is it's Freddie Kitchens. That seems like it pro- would probably be the best case scenario for these Giants. I really don't know what the other options are. Freddie Kitchens, you know, we might remember him from failing as Brown's head coach, but before that he had a tremendous half season as Brown's OC that helped him land that job as Brown's head coach. Yeah. I mean, he can't be worse than Garrett. I'm also not expecting, you know, Kitchens to spark the Giants offense and make this a unit we're super excited about. You know, there's too many other issues, I think, beyond Jason Garrett. Yeah, I mean, I'm not expecting to get excited about the Giants, but if you watch this team, the play calling is atrocious. I know that there was a Dan Orlovsky clip on Twitter where he showed the routes actually running three Giants receivers to the exact same spot on the field. We've seen Evan Engram get poor and short usage under Jason Garrett. So there is some talent here. There is some room for things to get, I guess, at least more favorable, more helpful to our fantasy lineups than there are currently. Yep, agreed. Jaguars wideouts will be without Jamal Agnew going forward after he suffered a season-ending hip injury last time out. And Jared, this might help unlock LaVisca Chenault as slot receiver again. Yeah, that that's the big takeaway here. Um, and I mean, Agnew does leave behind 6.3 targets over the last six games, so there's some volume to go around here. And then, yeah, getting Visca back in the slot. That's what I'm assuming. Um, you know, last week after Agnew left, they used Laquan Treadwell on the outside and did move Chenault 
back in the slot. The other option would be keeping Chenault on the outside and uh, getting Tavon Austin into the slot. Um, so I, I can't even say it without laughing. But, um, yeah, so we'll see. And when uh, Tavon Austin played last time, he wasn't even in the slot for them. He was outside in that Cincinnati game, I believe it was. All right, so there you go. So it should be Visca in the slot regardless. That's good news. I mean, I think that's where he needs to be to have a chance. Um, I, I'm not I'm not going to go calling him like, you know, a locked-in starter this week. Um, I think ideally we just kind of see how it plays out um, and, and go from there. Uh, you know, Marvin Jones should pick up some extra volume too. And, you know, Dan Arnold, um, I'd be fine going back to him despite last week's goose egg, you know, that kind of stands as the outlier. He'd been seeing good volume in Jamal Agnew. I think Jamal Agnew, especially, you know, who had been doing a lot of short range stuff, you know, a lot of that could go Dan Arnold's way now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it certainly should be helpful for LaVisca Schnall. Mm-hmm. should be helpful for Dan Arnold. They're all playing against the Falcons this week. So that's helpful to everybody involved. You know, I agree. You don't want to, you don't want to trust too much in anything from Jacksonville for that matter, but it's at least a situation worth keeping in mind as we move toward DFS for the weekend. If you're, if you're in a deep enough league where you're looking for wide receiver four level upside, you know, there's certainly a chance that LaVisca Chenault is helpful for your PPR lineup this week. If nothing else, these Jaguars have been good for, Oh yeah, I remember that guy. Like (laughs) it was Philip Dorsett in the preseason. Now Laquan Treadwell, Tavon Austin, I mean, it's it's been an enjoyable offense to have around just for kind of chuckles. Yeah, and Carlos Hyde leads the whole, you know, I remember that guy group, so it's been good. Um, yeah, and, you know, Jacksonville plays Atlanta this week too, so the, ma- the matchup is good for, for Visca and all these guys. Yeah, by the way, LaVisca Chenault's slot rate last week was his highest since week four, which was the game where DJ Chark went down. So, you know, we'll see what happens going forward, but it seems like maybe he'll get some more inside run now. Odell Beckham's going to round out the wide receivers. And what does he, what are we looking for from him with the Rams this week, Jared? I mean, we, we still don't know. That's kind of the thing, right? I mean, he was super limited in his first game before the bye week. You know, he, they targeted him on the first play of the game. He played quite a bit in like the first two series and he hardly played at all after that. You know, he, he should be more comfortable in the offense coming off the bye. He should play a bigger role, exactly how big a role that is. You know, we don't know for sure. So he, he's just a risk reward play i would not sit any comfortable locked in starters for odell beckham but if you have like an open spot and you're looking for someone i, I do think beckham you know, has as much upside as anyone you know outside outside the locked in starters yeah i would play him over guys like over guys like lavisca Schnall, traquan smith for the ultimate upside me too uh over at tight end kyle pitts leads things off and i have to wonder should we worry about his fairly quiet past four weeks um I mean, it's not ideal, but it's also tight end. So, like, you, know, you, you need another top five option to sit Kyle Pitts. I mean, I, I I wasn't surprised he struggled against New England with no Ridley and no Cordell Patterson. Um, Dwayne, Dwayne McFarlane, their buddy Dwayne McFarlane over at PFF had a good stat about how often New England double-covered Kyle Pitts in that game. Uh, you know, not surprisingly, that they, Pitts was the focal point of the Patriots' defense. Now he gets Jacksonville, 27th in adjusted points allowed to tight ends, 30th in football outsiders' tight end coverage rankings. Um, still no Kelvin Ridley, so the volume should be there for Pitts. We'll see if they get CPAT back. I think that would definitely help the offense. But, you know, Pitts to me is still a, a top eight, maybe even a top five tight end play this week. Yeah, I mean, if you drafted Kyle Pitts, you had to know that you were doing so with a wide range of potential outcomes. You have to know that there's a wide range of weekly potential outcomes right now. So the other positive here is that Pitts has had three really bad games among his past four. They came against the Patriots, the Saints, and the Panthers. The Patriots and Panthers are second and fifth in pass defense DVOA, so pretty good. 
in coverage right now. The Saints are fifth in tight end coverage DVOA, so they're doing a good job on that position. You can argue how much Kyle Pitts is a tight end versus a corner. Point is, those came against pretty good defenses, so it can happen for him like that anytime, but there's not as much reason to worry as there might be for some other guys coming off such a downstretch. Yeah. I mean, he's still one of like seven or eight tight ends that you can you know, kind of bank on, you know, six, seven plus targets from, from is Rob Gronkowski back to being one of those guys after pl- plenty of time in his return Monday night. Yeah. I mean, if, if Gronk is healthy, you're, you're starting him. Um, you know, his, his weekly finishes in his four healthy games this season, tight end one, tight end three, tight end 17, tight end nine. And he gets the Colts this week dead last in adjusted points allowed to tight end. So you're starting Gronk in season long. I think he's a top five tight end play this week. Um, I also think he, he's someone to consider in DFS. Should I worry that he is really hitting up USAA hard for insurance? <laughs> no, you, you shouldn't worry about that. All right. Because if a guy, if an older guy, an aging football player is that hard up for insurance where he's just fighting for it all the time, it just makes me wonder about his health. But we'll move on for now for Dalton Schultz. Speaking of insurance, some insurance for Dak Prescott this week. Rebounded from his week 10 for eight targets, six catches last week. Now he gets Las Vegas, the seventh friendliest matchup for tight end scoring by our adjusted fantasy points allowed. Mari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb. We don't know about Lamb but they're probably out both of them. Dalton Schultz is in a great spot for production this week. Yeah. Even if lamb plays, I think Schultz is a tight end one this week. You mentioned the matchup um, eight targets for Schultz last week, 92% of the pass routes, which is an elite mark for tight ends. And, you know, if, if lamb is out, then Schultz, you know, becomes a top two option in this passing game. So I think he's a pretty easy starter this week. Yeah, and I don't even think – it might not even be worse for him at all if C.D. Lamb plays because then there are two wideouts that the defense has to worry about going yeah. down the field as opposed to just Michael Gallup. So, yeah, yeah. Dalton Schultz is going to be strong no matter who is actually in or out for Dallas this game. Agreed. T.J. Hawkinson had a similar rebound last week, also back to six catches, eight targets with Tim Boyle at quarterback. So he's down right now, I think, from where we hoped he would be when we drafted yeah. him just because the Lions are – at least as bad as we all expected, but he's at least back to being a good bet among tight ends for targets. Yeah. He, he's just, he's just developed into a floor play at tight end. You know, just the, the average depth of target is low. The yards per catch is low. He's not getting touched on opportunities because this offense is so bad. Uh, but you know, he, he's, he, he's, he's a strong target bat at the position. Um, I, I guess, you know, now, even if Boyle is in there tomorrow, we can, you know, feel okay about Hawkinson because Boyle still, supported Hawkinson last week. So, you know, he, he's just like a, a low ups, a low upside tight end one, but someone who's you know, going to give you a pretty nice floor compared to a lot of the other options at the position. Yeah. He's probably got a lower ceiling than Dalton Schultz because of their respective offenses at this point. But mm-hmm. there's also probably not anybody at tight end with a higher target ceiling other than maybe Darren Waller. Yep. Agreed. Streamers at tight end, Jared, you got any favorites for somebody who doesn't have the option of playing any of these tight ends that we talked about already? I mean, I don't know if Pat Frymuth is available anywhere anymore, but I did want to mention him because Eric Ebron is going to miss potentially the rest of the season with that knee injury he suffered last week. And, and Frymuth's route rates have been much better without Ebron. If you look at his uh, Frymuth's last two games without Ebron, 68% of the routes and 73% of the routes. The two games sandwiching sandwiching those two with Ebron, 51 and 61% of the routes. So Frymuth definitely gets a bump without Ebron. The, the target, the volume has been there for for. Fryermuth, regardless of Ebron's status, but it definitely helps with no Ebron. So I think Fryermuth is, you know, a low end tight end one um, going forward. 
I think his end zone work has me favoring him over Dan Arnold the rest of the way and, you know, similar roles for the yeah. two of them. Yeah, that, that that's that's tough. Like I feel and it's this sounds obvious to say it's probably stupid, but like if if Ryan Moose scores, he's gonna he's gonna outscore Dan Arnold. If he doesn't score, I'd bet on Dan Arnold outscoring him. Um, so I do think Arnold still has the higher floor because of the volume, but um yeah, I mean Fryer Muth um is just playing well like like man, how high are we gonna rank him next year to, to be doing this as a rookie? I mean, we'll see um uh, who Pittsburgh has a quarterback. It's it's been a super impressive rookie season from Fryer Muth. Yeah, I'm very curious to see who the Pittsburgh quarterback is heading into next season. I think Austin Hooper is somebody who's probably even more available than Pat Fryermuth at this point. Gets Baltimore this week. The matchup hasn't been as good over the past couple weeks as previous, and I guess we could just blame Cole Komet for that. But (laughs) Austin Hooper has seen 12 targets over his past two games. He's had three games of five-plus targets and four receptions among his past four outings. 17.5% target share over that four-game span. The Ravens are still allowing the fourth most PPR points per game to the position. They're ninth in adjusted fantasy points allowed middle of the pack in tight end coverage DVOA. So there's certainly not a tough tight end defense at this point. And Hooper's just in kind of a similar situation to Dalton Schultz, where there are only that many guys around to challenge him for targets. Yeah. Um, I mean, Jarvis Landry is just super banged up. You know, he hasn't been practicing through much of these past few weeks. I'm sure he's going to play on Sunday night, but, um, you know, he, he's not hundred percent. Donovan Peoples Jones is still iffy with his groin injury. Anthony Schwartz missed last week with a concussion. So the Browns wide receiver core is just in, in shambles so that, you know, uh, last week, Hooper had seven targets, David Njoku had four targets. So the tight ends combined for 38% of Baker Mayfield's passes. I think you could see that continue going forward, especially in this matchup against Baltimore. So yeah, I, I like Hooper as a spot start option. And then you know, even deeper down, I do think David Njoku, um, you know, not, not as safe, I think Cooper's a better target bet at this point, but you know, Njoku has that big playability. Mm-hmm. Anybody else to tight end? Nope. I just had those Browns guys as the top streamers beyond Fryermuth. On the streaming defenses, <laughs> it looks like a pretty good week if you need to find somebody off the waiver wire to start in that spot. What do you like here? Yeah, there's just a lot of bad offenses out there, right? <laughs> like, you know, the the Bears playing the Lions on Thanksgiving, I think, is a good bet. And you know, we've talked about starting defenses against uh Ben Roethlisberger, so the Bengals are in play. I mean, I think you could even consider the Texans this week, if you want to get super gross, just in this matchup against Zach Wilson, who in Wilson's five full games this season, he's taken 3.6 sacks per game and thrown nearly two interceptions per game. So, you know, Houston, not a good defense, but, you know, Wilson has been, has been giving to opposing defenses so far. If you want to get super gross, there are probably better videos on YouTube for you to be watching than ours right now. But you mentioned the Bears. I was a little skeptical with them as a defense to begin the week just because I don't know how well they have been playing overall. But then I looked, and they're coming off two straight strong performances, at least on the fantasy front. Obviously, last week they got Tyler Huntley as a starter for Baltimore. But then uh, at Pittsburgh, the game before that was also a good outing for the Bears team defense. So when you combine that with matching up against the Lions – and whichever dud they throw out there quarterback this week, it's certainly a great spot, even if it doesn't end up working out. And one other, the Chargers are like on the fringe of our top 12. That's one that I would only go to if I really need to, if my mm-hmm. only other options are bad, because the downside risk here is that where the Chargers are weak, and as Jared mentioned earlier, weakest, they're worse than the league against the run. That's where Denver is the strongest, and that's where they would like to keep the ball. So, you know, there's a chance that the – Turnover potential of Teddy Bridgewater just doesn't come yeah. into play here, but it is a good matchup. Denver's fifth um, in as a scoring matchup in terms of adjusted fantasy points allowed. 
Yeah, you'll need the Chargers to jump out to a lead there and force Teddy Bridgewater to, to drop back. But there, there's definitely upside if that happens. Mm-hmm. Any other defenses? Nope. That's going to do it for this Week 12 preview edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now. You can see our full Week 12 rankings. Find all the other tools that help you refine your roster and set your lineup each week. Check out our special Thanksgiving DFS podcast that Jared and I were just recorded this morning. That's available now. Uh, you can find our usual Friday DFS show, most likely coming later this week, probably Friday morning, but we're still working that out at this point with, you know, this goofball week that we're all working mm-hmm. through. As always, you can also hit us with questions anytime in the free DraftSharks Discord. If you haven't joined that yet, you can find the link to do so in the description for this podcast, wherever you are taking it in. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Shaw saying thanks so much for swimming with us.